Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. If how your baby sleeps has taken over your life but you don't quite feel like cry it out is the way for you, you have come to the right place. This is a podcast about all things baby sleep, about what's normal, what we can do about it and how to survive the trials and tribulations of early parenthood. So this week it's actually Infant Mental Health Awareness Week and that runs uh, every June and I've read some really fantastic articles and social media posts lately about infant mental health and I think it's really great that we're starting to really talk about this because there's already quite a lot of conversation I think about the mental health of about children and teenagers and adults but often we forget that babies, infants have mental health as well that we need to support protect and help develop and we are so lucky to be parenting in a time when we know so much more about mental health in general and that we can support our our children in these ways so um on my instagram i'll be sharing some um some of some of this information and signposting a few more articles if you if you follow me please do look out for that So because I've been thinking a lot about mental health this week, I wanted to talk to Emily from Fox and the Moon Infant Sleep. Now, you might already follow Emily on Instagram. And if so, you'll know that she's a holistic infant sleep consultant. And she's also very, very open and brave about um, talking about her own mental health challenges. So Before we go any further, I just want to give a little bit of a warning that some of the subjects in this podcast could be triggering. And so what I've done is I've listed in the show notes some of the subjects that could be triggers. And I've also listed a timestamp so that if you don't want to hear stories about someone else's trauma for whatever reason, that's absolutely fine. You can just skip it. Or I would say if you're not in the right frame of mind to be listening or thinking about trauma right now that's absolutely fine it's okay to just press stop and listen to another podcast I won't be offended Um, these are really huge subjects that mean a lot to lots of us so I do want to reassure you though before we go any further that the stories have happy endings everyone's well everyone's safe everyone's getting the treatment and the support they need um, Emily has a gorgeous thriving family who are all doing brilliantly and she's so on it with her own mental health and she's still obviously going through stuff because she's human and she's experienced PTSD, postnatal psychosis and other you know mental health challenges with anxiety etc but she's someone who knows so much about her own mental health about mental health in, in general and I just absolutely loved talking to her about how that influences her work as a sleep consultant but also her life as a mum and you know we talk a lot at the end about how we can help ourselves and how how we can move through these mental health challenges that so many of us experience when we become parents so this might be for you if you're going through something with your own mental health right now or if you're worried about a friend or a loved one who you suspect maybe isn't doing as well as you'd like them to do um but yeah, if, if if this stuff is triggering for you, skip to the end or just give this episode a miss and I'll see you next week uh, when I'll, it'll be a little bit lighter. 
Okay, thanks very much for listening and uh, here's the interview. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality secondhand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com, to sign up today. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you about all things mental health and postnatal perinatal anxiety. So I thought we could just kick off um, if by me asking you about your own experiences as a mum. So you've got two little boys, uh, um, Arthur and Henry. And yeah, what can you tell me about your family? Uh, so Arthur is nearly six and Henry is nearly two and Henry was born prematurely so um, two months prematurely so he's two at the end of this month. Um, both boys um, struggle with their health in terms of um, asthma and things um, so it's been a bit of a rough journey um, and I guess that's why I have suffered because they have suffered <laughs> in a way Um but yeah, they are two lovely little boys and I'm very proud of them. Both absolute drama queens, but because I am, they have <laughs> to be. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, they're both very lovely, happy children. And is that what led you onto this line of work to become a, a holistic sleep consultant? Yes. So, yeah. So I, I think sleep was the main played kind of a very big role in my uh motherhood journey and my mental health and I think that it definitely impacted on it negatively mm -hmm. because I didn't understand anything about infant sleep when I had Arthur I, I only had um books to read and google to search and I am a I am a classic overthinker I always have been I want to know everything about everything so and that was quite dangerous for me at the beginning yeah um so what led me into this line of work was I I, I sleep trained Arthur because I didn't know any better and I thought that's what everybody had to do and the impacts that had on my mental health and probably still do to a certain extent um and and also just not having that knowledge like my whole reasoning behind doing this is to help parents see that there are different ways and that they don't have to do something just because everybody is telling them to do that yeah. and that there are other options and I think sleep is 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 isn't linear as we know and just to have more in-depth knowledge about what is happening with our children's sleep and how we can help it instead of just saying okay just let them let them cry yeah massively important and I think if we all had that knowledge as standard I strongly believe that maternal mental health rates would decrease there'd be less maternal suicides and it, I know it's a small thing sleep is one of the small like you know a smaller thing um but just having feeling empowered 
about that first year of motherhood and knowing what's normal and knowing how to help things I think it would it would change lives and as we know it does um so yeah that's what led me into this yeah knowing knowing something is normal is so empowering isn't it you know I yeah I think we take it for granted um, Mm -hmm. because we live in this culture that likes to fix things. And so even I sometimes, if someone asks me a question, like, is this normal? And I'll go, oh, yes, it is. And they're like, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's all I Mm. needed to know. And I'll think, Mm. oh, okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Rather than how do I fix it? How do I always fix that? Yeah. And I think I had a a phone consultation last night with an 18-week-old, well, not with an (laughs) 18-week-old, about an 18-week-old. advanced yeah no can you imagine (laughs) (laughs) and um and the whole call was just me saying yeah that's fine that's normal that's okay you can do that That, and and I thought and then and then I felt almost like I shouldn't have taken that person's money for that phone call because I wasn't fixing anything but actually knowing you know that parent went away feeling so much lighter about the situation yeah that's what it's about it's not always about you have to do this you have to do this at this age and that will fix everything because it's just babies as we always say are just not robotic they're not robots they need and and I think just understanding another human being that can't communicate with you in the way that an adult can um just knowing what's going on for them and especially for people that are suffering with their mental health because a lot of perinatal anxiety is about lack of control Mm-hmm. And you don't have any control over this person that you've birthed and they can't communicate with you apart from by crying. Mm. Um, and obviously as they grow, other little things that you pick up pick up on as the mm. parent. Um, so just having that knowledge, I think, would dramatically change things for people if they just knew what was going on. Definitely. And can I ask then, before you had Arthur, so six years ago, yeah. how would you describe um, your like mental health? And mm-hmm. um, So as I said before, I'm an overthinker and I have to know everything. And I was a very anxious child. Um, and I think, I mean, I've spent a lot of years in counselling and therapy and talking to people and doing courses and attending webinars on mental health and I think that's why I can speak quite honestly about it and also I I understand I understand my own mental health very well which yeah. helps me a lot yeah um brilliant. so yeah before Arthur I had bouts of depression it was very situational um and anxiety like if I I used to work maybe an hour's drive from where I lived. And if I didn't have half a tank of petrol, I would panic all the way home that I'd run out of petrol, even though I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, I'd have very specific triggers to my anxiety. And what's happened since having children is those triggers have completely changed. Mm. Um, and they aren't in my control and they never were. Um, so that's, it was always, I always expected my mental health to, decline a little bit and I'd kind of prepared myself about the baby blues and Mm -hmm. um but what actually happened was was a lot more severe than just the baby blues unfortunately yeah I think that's so brilliant that you've sought that much support and done the work and are talking about it because we talk about mental health I think a lot in our society but I still think there is a huge taboo around it 
mm-hmm. and people are still I think a lot of people are still very scared to like ask for help or seek help yeah. and and yeah. say you know it can feel like a failure and particularly mm-hmm. around motherhood it can feel like you're you know that you're a bad mother or a bad father if you're struggling you know I think yeah. there's another layer, layer to it isn't there mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah and I think that that only and and again I don't want to be generalizing but the 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 experiences I've had in being open about my mental health has actually not helped me in terms of when Henry has been in hospital um, and when we've had to call an ambulance on numerous occasions as soon as the paramedics come through the front door and I've obviously attended Henry and made sure he's okay made him stable I have then had to say I need to let you know that I have PTSD mm-hmm. and I have severe debilitating panic attacks. And I need to tell you that now because I don't know what's going to happen when I get into the ambulance. Mm-hmm. And most people are absolutely brilliant about that. And most nurses and doctors are fabulous and others will. Um, I've had an experience where a nurse has kind of written in Henry's notes that I'm, um, I can't remember the word that she used, but basically she referred me to some some help for some mm. services kind of without telling me that's what she was doing mm. um so that has it's I'd always I'd always encourage people to to tell people how they feel in those kind of situations um and be and feel strong enough to kind of perhaps challenge people when they think that you don't have the situation under control um but yeah it's it is yeah. it's important to to talk about it so you had Arthur six years ago how did that kind of postnatal period look for you um it so he I was 42 weeks pregnant and he I'd done a hypnobirthing course and I felt really empowered and I unfortunately the hypnobirthing course didn't prepare me for any other eventuality but a calm serene water birth um and I refused induction until 42 weeks and then I remember going for a scan um and because I was at 42 weeks so you can ask for something called expected management I think it's called where you go in and be scanned um and get put on a monitor for an hour and you can do that every day if you want to just to make sure the baby's okay until they arrive and I remember going in on that day and the midwives two midwives came in as I was being monitored and my mum my was with me and they said um unfortunately if you leave this any later do you realize kind of the the increase um of the risk of stillbirth mm-hmm. and I said yeah I what I did know and I'd prepared myself for that but in that moment I just said no I don't I, I, I want to do whatever I need to do now so the next day I was booked in for an induction um unfortunately it didn't work for me um and they uh broke my waters and they were filled with meconium so that's Mm. when the baby poos inside the womb um and then they had to take some blood from Arthur's head um whilst he was uh, in utero and take um and do his blood gases and they found that his carbon uh, dioxide levels were very high and his oxygen levels were very low and that was it I was rushed into theatre for a section and um, and at that point I'd been awake for 
three days, kind of bar 20 minute little cat naps. Um, and I was falling asleep on the table while they were, um, they were stitching me back up and Arthur had been passed to a husband. Um, and I, and I asked for them not to tell me whether he was a boy or a girl and they did <laughs> straight away. And I was really upset about that. I wanted to kind of be him to be brought to me and have that skin to skin. And I didn't get that. He was passed to, he was passed to Andrew. Well, um, they stabilized me and then I held him in recovery the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, desperately wanted to breastfeed him and tried and tried and tried for days. And we were in hospital for another three days and straight away, because of the sleep deprivation I was experiencing Mm. things would make me act really irrationally so there'd be a door it was height of summer and the door would constantly just gently tap close and it was next to me and I remember that completely sending me over the edge the noise of that um and I I think a midwife kind of picked up on that and moved me into uh moved me away from the door and, Mm. and helped me get some sleep Um, And then eventually we got home and Arthur was just so unsettled. He was a big baby. He was 9, 13 when he was born. I know. And I remember the woman that delivered him, obviously, by the section was like, "Um, you definitely wouldn't have got that head out, I don't think. It's a very big head. (laughs) I was like, oh, great. Um, So, yeah, tried to feed him. Just wasn't, it was just not working. Um, and I didn't know enough about breastfeeding. And um, I think that's one of the things that may, you know, exasperated uh, my mental health eventually. But um, yeah, really tried to breastfeed him. I remember ringing kind of a breastfeeding helpline at midnight one night and leaving a message. And then the next morning, this woman turned up at the door and looked in his mouth and said, he's like 90% tongue tied. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's that? um didn't know anything about that and then anyway he had his tongue cut and by this point though I felt so anxious that I thought I've got this tiny person that I've now got to look after and he's crying a lot because he's not getting enough milk I didn't know that at the time I just thought um and I was terrified of going to sleep I wouldn't leave him with my husband I wouldn't leave him with my mum um at night I'd lie next to him and could not fall asleep and if I did fall asleep it was like my body would then I'd have like a surge of adrenaline and I'd sit bolt upright and my heart would be going and I'd have a full-blown panic attack and I'd look at the clock and I'd been asleep like five minutes so this it just kept building and building like there was the more tired I was getting the more anxious I was getting but then I couldn't sleep because I was so anxious so it was like a vicious cycle and then then I started to hallucinate things. So I'd wake up and, and Arthur would be dead next to me. And I'd have to wake my husband up. And um, oh, Angie gosh. says that, I know, Angie says that he'd, he'd, he'd wake up to me screaming that he was dead. Um, and obviously that must have been horrendous for Andrew to experience that. Um, and I don't really know how I got past that initial bit. I think, yeah. I think my mum did a bit of an intervention and I think once I started to I kind of let go of the breastfeeding because it was it was getting to the point that he he I just couldn't have done it my I would have I wouldn't have survived breastfeeding him because I was so mentally unwell yeah Um, and I think once I'd made that decision and um I knew that people could take care of him as much as I could it was so bizarre 
um I did relax a little bit um and then when he was about four months old he developed bronchiolitis mm. um and it was Christmas our first Christmas first Christmas Eve and um I just got him in the car at like midnight he was blue around the mouth why I didn't call an ambulance I have no idea but I got him to the hospital and he was very poorly for a lot, quite a long time about 10 days he was in hospital over our first Christmas and then that was it then it was back to square one for me because I didn't sleep while we were there and then my worst fear as a parent that he was going to die in his sleep that was it I was just like this is going to happen he's not meant to be here with me he's now very poorly he's got an Optiflow machine giving him 80% of his oxygen that he needs he's going to die and that's all I could think about was that this was it now and I couldn't go to sleep because if I went to sleep he would um and obviously that is just torture like completely self-destruct mode then and and, um it, it took a long time to build myself back up to a point where and I still wasn't on any medication so I don't know how how I did that nobody offered me medication so I was going to ask about that about the level of support that you got during that period for those first four months before the bronchiolitis before the bronchiolitis yeah no nothing um I had um um, a health visitor that did like a tick sheet with me you know of like your way you score your moods yeah um and was that because you said you were feeling a certain way yeah so she said okay let's go through this questionnaire and yeah yeah and I don't to be honest I don't remember a lot of of his first year of Arthur's first year at all I know that Mm. when I speak to Andrew about it now he said like I used to just sit in the same chair and I'd just stare out the window um and everybody was very quietly worried in the background and I wasn't aware of that but everyone was having these conversations about what they could do to help me and my mum um is just wonderful and has been um since well forever but obviously since mm. having children just been yeah. amazing um and like unlike what his husband has obviously as well but in terms of um NHS help um there wasn't any I had to seek uh, counseling and I wasn't actually diagnosed with postpartum psychosis and PTSD and OCD until four years later when I was pregnant with Henry and I relayed all of this information that I'm telling you now to a perinatal psychiatrist and she formally diagnosed me yeah so I was like oh my god there's a name for that like that's what happened to me and there's actually a medication to help me with those thoughts and how powerful was it for you then to have to have it named um or did it it help or not it (laughs) did help it did help it was like it was like I felt like there was a name for what I was experiencing and that I was not 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 on my own with it and there was other women or had that you know other women had experienced it um but mostly I just felt like this woman this doctor the perinatal psychiatrist that I saw um she was called Dr Bonnie Halliwell and literally I'd marry her tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) she yeah she honestly was phenomenal and this is before any of the um the things that happened with Henry yeah. she just she saw me she diagnosed me she got me on the right treatment um she booked me a, a planned section which is what I was wanting all along so I didn't have to go through any of that again definitely um yeah. she just did it she just was amazing um 
so yeah it was a relief to to be diagnosed and also just to have that reassure almost like that validation that when I telling people no this is how I feel and actually somebody that's qualified to do so has agreed that this is what I'm struggling with um made a difference for me massively yeah and so did Arthur have ongoing kind of breathing issues when he was little (laughs) yeah yeah so I mean really couldn't write what's happened to other losses I mean people have it far worse but I think um I think it's it's kind of the way things have got worse I guess with with Henry but with Arthur yeah he had the bronchiolitic episode and then he was always admitted with what they call viral induced wheeze and Mm -hmm. he was on inhalers and nebulizers and we had to call an ambulance for him but it was literally every time he got a cold he would struggle to breathe within 24 hours we'd be in hospital we'd be there for three nights we'd come home Um, and that was maybe six seven times a winter um and it never got easier for me people kind of you know our family and friends would be like oh you're in again and I would be like yes we're in again and it's horrendous and you don't understand how horrendous this is um and I and I kept thinking to myself I could not imagine having a child with like a long-term health issue or being in here for very long I just found it so difficult as you would it's not going to be an enjoyable experience but um yeah eventually Arthur has been diagnosed with asthma um and he's on preventative medication. He's he's on a, a waiting list for a more uh, in-depth investigate in investigation um in in the form of an operation. So I it got to the point where I was worrying so much about Arthur all of the time, and I was so poorly that I said I don't want to have any more children because I can't imagine worrying for another child like I worry for Arthur. I mean, um, fair enough, Emily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what, yeah. cha- what changed? Um, I don't think an awful lot changed. I think we'd had a few conversations about how we didn't, I personally didn't want the dream of having two children to be affected by my mental health. And I thought there's there's got to be something else I can do here to help mm help me not feel like this anymore because it was after an admission after he'd got home from from being before officer was pregnant with Henry and we'd had these conversations I would sit on the edge of my sofa and if if Andrew was on nights my mum would have to come and sit with me and she wasn't allowed to speak to me because if she spoke to me that distracted me from me either looking at Arthur's monitor or whatever Mm. um the anxiety was so paralyzing that I couldn't, and I don't want to be flippant with what I'm about to say, but I I didn't want to be here anymore. Like I could not, I couldn't live like that every day. And the only saving grace in this situation was that when Arthur was better, I was better. But if that had been everyday reality for me, Mm. I wouldn't have survived it. Yeah. Um, So we decided that we wouldn't let it stop us, but I said, well, kind of, we can start to try and have another baby. And in the meantime, I'm gonna get myself some private counseling. I'm going to go to the GP and ask for some medication and just talk to them about this and how I feel and see what can be done. Um, and that's when I found Anna Mather's um, reframing anxiety course. Um, and I paid for that and I did that and that changed my life. Um, 
it was five minutes a day of reading and five minutes a day of reflective activity and it just the tools that were in that course just were transformative for me just absolutely amazing but then I fell pregnant um and that's when the worry started for me right so when yeah so yes I um I will link um Anna's course to the show notes for anyone listening and and she is brilliant she has a fantastic Instagram account and I know she's helped lots and lots of people Mm -hmm. um with anxiety and intrusive thoughts and all kinds of mental health problems and um but yeah I'm really sorry that it yeah like what a huge journey I I, such a Mm. I hate using that word because it's so (laughs) overused but like that is an enormous experience to have had and um you've been very courageous um along the way and you know it's just make it's so it's so sad to listen to because just yeah it just breaks my heart that any any family would have to experience that and that we don't you know that there wasn't more support around you from like a a a systemic support obviously like thank god you had your mum and a supportive partner yeah and that you knew so much about mental health and that you could say actually I'm going to go to my GP now like that's amazing but just Mm. I know and that's what makes me so proactive in in you know if I recognize it in a in a client and I don't jump to conclusions but it's given me the tools to ask certain questions in a very kind of nurturing way Mm -hmm. to find out how they're feeling and and it's very, it's very obvious and I'm sure that you will, you know, you, you, with the interactions you have with clients, whether they've had a bad night and, mm-hmm. you know, they think they're feeling a little bit disheartened or, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's that I think that if, if I can take anything away from this situation is that it's made me more in tune with people's moods, I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and helping, and my dad, and my dad actually suffers a lot with his mental health and it's, and, and my experience of um, this, my mental health um, and what's happened to me since having the boys has brought us a lot closer because I can understand a lot of the decisions he's made in the past and a lot of, yeah. so it's 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 not all doom and gloom. There has been a lot of, of good that's come out of what's happened to us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not, you know, you don't, you don't want to ever go through that. And I think, um, what happened with Henry which obviously we'll get to but yeah that um yeah and that yeah <laughs> but is that how that uh changed things for me in, in terms of my mental health as well so okay so it's four years later and you're or three years later and yeah, you're preg- later. pregnant with Henry and you're starting to feel a bit kind you know some familiar feelings of anxiety and mm. PTSD and those things were coming back um I mean did you how was your, how was your pregnancy then with, with um, that so I got I got I found out I was pregnant at the beginning of December and that Christmas period we always make a joke in our family that one of my children is ill over Christmas and it's just not even a funny joke anymore because I just want to have a Christmas <laughs> when none of them are falling but this specific Christmas um so I was very newly pregnant and I had high premises um so I was sick constantly for 16 weeks or so can I just say bloody hell <laughs> no I know I was <laughs> like anything else, Come anything on. oh god yeah I know um and so the issue with that for me was that 
yes, obviously being sick was horrendous and it wasn't a nice experience, but because I wasn't eating because of how sick I felt, that feeling of hunger and nausea is very similar to when you're having a panic attack. And it can be different for everybody, for, for, for different people, but that kind of crampy, butterfly nauseous feeling is very similar to when you feel anxious. So I was getting... I was feeling sick and hungry and tired and pregnant, but I felt very anxious with those feelings, if that makes sense. I couldn't, my brain couldn't dif differentiate what was happening to me and how I needed to respond to that. Um, and then quite often I am sick when I have a panic attack. So I was like, what is actually going on here? Um, and Arthur then had um, a poorly winter and he wasn't admitted to hospital, but I was very, very anxious about him. Um, and after that time though, say from kind of like the January um, onwards, I had a really lovely pregnancy. It was it was great and I enjoyed it. And I felt like a really good connection to, to Henry. And we found out he was a boy, which we didn't do with Arthur. And it was just lovely. And I was very excited about it. And um, and then especially when I'd put the things in place in terms of mental health, I felt like I had this army of people behind me for when I had this baby, there'd be people there that I could be like, no, I feel like this again, please help me. Or this has happened. Can I have some help with that? And I just felt really empowered and really confident. Um, and then we went to, we decided to book a family holiday in the April and before Henry was born and I had probably the worst episode of, um, I don't really know what to call it, but it, the worst kind of anxiety to the point where I couldn't function. Um, and that was bizarre. It was just, it just came out of nowhere. We landed in Ibiza, the weather wasn't very good. We got to the hotel and it wasn't what we'd really expected or booked for. And normally things like that would just not bother me at all. And we'd just have a good time and make the most of it. Um, and I became obsessed with whether there was a carbon monoxide monitor in the apartment. So that was like the first thing. And it just came into my head. And I was like, well, we're all going to die of carbon monoxide poisoning now because there isn't a there isn't a detector. Um, and we were there for 10 days and it was the worst 10 days of my life. Mm. And that's horrendous to say, because Andrew and, and Arthur were trying to make the best of it. And Andrew was trying to protect Arthur from how I kind of was and I think it's important to say that my parenting actually doesn't get too affected when I feel like this it's when he is asleep or when I yeah. take myself away from the situation that I internalize it and kind of struggle yeah um but then again as soon as we got home from from Ibiza and I was home and I was I I was in my own house it just lifted as quickly as it came and it was very strange and I thought at that point, you know, this could be pregnancy related. It could be like hormonal that's making me so much worse when I'm pregnant. Um, and then in the June, he was due, uh, Henry was due at the end of August. And um, on the 20th of June, um, Andrew was on nights, Arthur was in bed. And I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and my water had gone. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I'm laughing but it's not a laughing no it's not funny <laughs> no um and I remember just thinking no no not today this is not happening this is not allowed to happen and Arthur was pretty much dragged out because he just didn't want to come and this child is deciding he's coming now mm. um and I remember going into the bathroom 
um waters were just gushing like it was like a movie and I didn't experience any of that with Arthur um and I remember calling my husband because he was at work and then as he picked up the phone I heard the front door go and he'd literally got home the minute I'd kind of woken up which was amazing like it would have been because he just stopped that panic straight away um, and I remember calling my local hospital and they said, you need to call an ambulance and, and come down. Um, so we did that and then started the week of of hell, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I was I was hooked up to a magnesium sulfate drip, which a lot of women whose waters go early mm-hmm. um, are. Um, and that makes you feel very strange. It kind of gives you flu symptoms for a couple of days. Um, but the room spin, it's just a very strange um experience and that helps babies brains mature mm-hmm. and protect them against cerebral palsy um, and obviously had the the steroids that you'd get um if you were going into preterm labor um, and then my labor was very stop start and about two or three days in I said I want to go home and try and get some rest because I think this is going to be I think I'm going to be here for the long haul and they let me home and I'd, I'd fallen asleep and then got woken up by quite a painful contraction and just headed back in because I just thought I can't you know there's no point staying here and at that point they scanned me and saw that Henry was breached but in the bum first position um so at that point they made a decision that I would have a planned section but only when I went into established labor so they didn't want to evict him sooner than he would have decided to do that so I was then you know, this was pre-coronavirus, so I could have visitors and that was great, but I desperately missed Arthur and yeah. never been away from him. And we were kind of like a week in to this now. Um, and because of the risk of a cord prolapse, we were told to, to stay in hospital. And we, I, my labor, it was so bizarre. And I've, I've since found out that Henry's condition is linked to a very long labor. Um, but at the time, it was getting to the point where people were th- saying to me, are you sure that it's not your bowel that's in spasm? Like, this can't be, you've been in labour for too long now. It's like day 10. Mm. Um, and I was like, maybe, maybe I've got irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> and I never knew about it. Like, that's how crazy it got. Like, it it was bizarre. And then all of a sudden, it started and I was in full-blown labour. Um, and quickly from kind of 11 o'clock at night to six in the morning went from zero to 10 centimeters um and the plan was to get me into theater at four centimeters when I was in established labor um but it didn't happen and I'm still trying to find out why and I've had my maternity notes I'm having I'm having a debrief actually tomorrow night um yeah just to kind of see what kind of happened but all I know is that my obstetric team was in theatre on an emergency and I wasn't given any pain relief because um, from looking at the notes, it says that it had to be authorised by a consultant. But they were in an emergency. And then it says in my notes that somebody heard me screaming and came in, I was 10 centimetres. So they rushed me into theatre. Um, and at that point, I just said to them, he's coming, I can feel him coming so I was intubated and um put under yeah um but still didn't know anything to do with Henry's condition 
um, and just woke up and said to my husband and my husband, I just remember him saying he's okay you know he's he's okay he's in he's in intensive care but he's okay and I said oh can I see a picture of him and Angie showed me this picture and I was like what on earth is that all over him oh. um and I was very out of it as you can imagine and my husband presumed that his skin looked the way it did because he was prem so he hadn't asked any questions and apparently the the nurse that 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 got uh, the NICU nurse that um caught him as it were said that she kind of froze with him in his in in her hands because um of, of how he looked so I then met him 12 hours later and it was established that there was something very wrong with his skin and that's when the word ichthyosis was mentioned to me yeah so um I suppose most people won't be aware of this condition but could you explain what ichthyosis is yes yeah Yeah. so ichthyosis is a term of um you can either acquire ichthyosis you can either develop it through other health conditions or you can be born with it and to be born with it is incredibly rare and I think there's over 25 different forms of ichthyosis um, and the most common congenital ichthyosis so the the most common ones that you can be born with are ones called harlequin ichthyosis collodion ichthyosis lamellar ichthyosis and then henry's which is ichthyosis of prematurity syndrome Um, and it's quite complex to understand but basically ichthyosis is where your skin is thick and scaly and it sheds and it can be very sore there was a lot of talk obviously at this point we didn't know what type of ichthyosis we had and we didn't actually find out until five months later um, but ichthyosis is uh, generally a very, your skin is made differently and it looks very different. Right. Um, and Henry had thick, crusty, vernix type skin stuck to him all over. But then in, in, in other, it, it, on his head, it was almost like an inch thick. It was like he was wearing a helmet of skin. Wow. Um, and underneath he had the brightest red hair. Um, that we later discovered as it kind of came away but the the issue that the doctors had was that the 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 skin was so thick on his head that it squashed his it pushed his ears down and his and and his nose was flattened by it um and he also had because of that his his skin on his neck was kind of folded and he only had one palm crease on both of his hands so he then had five soft markers for down syndrome um, so we were prepared on the on day one that you know there is something wrong with his skin and we actually think that he has Down syndrome. So he was tested for that. And I remember coming back to my room that night, bearing in mind I'd hardly slept for 10 days because I was in start to start labor. I think the, the best sleep I had was when I was under general anesthetic. And I remember just keeping like I remember meeting Henry and thinking, and straight away I didn't I didn't think about his skin I just remember feeling a lot of love for him and 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 I know that that is a normal response to have but when you haven't met your child you haven't seen them be born and then you're you can only see sorry yeah (laughs) you can only see his body because his head um he was on breathing apparatus but to feel that love straight away is quite um an overwhelming feeling and I felt very happy about that that I felt that and that I wasn't scared about his skin because obviously I was but it didn't affect the way I felt for him yeah. um 
And then the next day when I'd slept, I remember going and, and holding him for the first time and holding him for the first time was amazing as well. Um, and again, I was just really relieved to feel that. I remember feeling quite happy, as strange as that sounds, that because I didn't feel that with Arthur. Um, yeah. So it was nice to feel that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, he had a long stay in NICU and obviously his Down syndrome test came back negative. And the more the skin came away from his head, the more his features kind of went back to where they probably should be. Mm. Um, and it was later diagnosed through genetic testing that he has ichthyosis of prematurity syndrome. So that explains obviously the prematurity, him coming prematurely, my long labour. Um, but actually there's only 18 recorded cases of ichthyosis of prematurity syndrome in the world. Um, so he's very, yeah. <laughs> So he's a, he's a rare breed. Oh my um, goodness, what a special little boy. I know. Oh my God. Um, so he, yeah, and, and that's mind-blowing in itself. And another mind-blowing thing is that people with ichthyosis have a mutated gene that's responsible for making your like skin uh, normal, springy and fatty and um, receptive to moisture um, and both me and my husband gave him that faulty gene, which apparently is just completely unheard of, that we'd both give him the same mutation. And there was even talks of us maybe being distantly related, which was the worst thing in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> made me want to crawl in a ball and cry even more. Um, but obviously genetic testing confirmed that we definitely were not. But oh that was a God. question we were asked. Oh Is my there God. a chance that maybe, like, no, no, no. That um, was the twist in the story I was not expecting. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> actually third cousins removed and <laughs> we are now divorced. Surprise, he's your brother. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> no. Very long lost. Um, no, so you're that just was... all really rare breeds. Very special people. <laughs> I know like it's just I sometimes I tell this story and I just think you can't help but laugh because it's it's just so out there and so ridiculous and so I just can't yeah. <laughs> to words. um oh. but yeah unfortunately that's not even you know he, he he then yeah had quite a few different health issues um that we've battled through yeah um but yeah, it's been a long one. God, yeah. And so, but then I suppose this time around, you, like you said before, you you got help. You saw a, a you know, a mental health professionals. You you had names for what you were going through. Yeah. Um, and I started on sertraline, which was just yeah. a game changer. If any, if no nobody had told me, nobody had even mentioned that sertraline could help with intrusive thoughts. Um. And I remember the day we brought him home from NICU, I had a very, very severe feeling, overwhelming, and it probably lasted for 24 hours. And I remember picking up the phone to my mum and I said to my mum, I can't care for this child. He, do I can't do it. I don't, I can't put this cream on him all the time. Mm. I can't make sure that he's okay. I'm going to go and you need to come here and look after him. And she said, you need to go to the doctors. And she mm. drove me to the doctors. Um, and the, the sertraline dose that the perinatal psychiatrist had put me on, the GP then upped it. And after them upping it, I didn't have and haven't had for a long time um, a day like that or a feeling like that, which is just, 
amazing the relief to not have to battle with those thoughts is incredible um and even we live we live quite near the (laughs) this is another element to the story but we live um near Whaley Bridge and I don't know if you remember in 2019 the dam nearly collapsing and the whole town was evacuated oh my god yes yeah so that happened in the August and we live in the next village the next town so we are kind of above Whaley Bridge so we wouldn't have been affected if it had gone um however nobody could get to us quickly um and the night that Whaley Bridge was evacuated Henry stopped breathing and I had to give him CPR at home and I had to call an ambulance. And um, luckily a first responder was nearby and he came and and helped me until the paramedics came. But it took the paramedics such a long time because, because the town was being evacuated and they couldn't get to my house. And it was just that. And, and then we were kept in hospital after that because they didn't know if the dam was going to go mm-hmm. and they didn't want me to struggle to get back. Um, and uh, he, he was basically suffering from apneas due to silent reflux um, that just wasn't diagnosed and wasn't for a long time. So, yeah, that was another little golden nugget of joy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's just been a wild one. God, because I think it's one thing to have intrusive thoughts and like worst case scenarios playing out in yeah. your head all the time. But then when you experience them. Yeah that yeah. adds another level doesn't it yeah and and this is gonna sound bizarre but the worst case scenario for me was losing one of my children and it nearly happened several times with Henry uh, and we survived it and I survived it and he survived it. I survived it mentally and he survived it physically and that's made me better mm. it's made me realize how strong we are as human beings and how strong babies are in general and how resilient children are and and how I'm actually stronger than I thought and I can I can advocate for my children I can fight for them and I can save them like I saved his life and I don't give myself enough credit for that yes Um, that is amazing isn't it It's so lovely to hear you say that because I was thinking if I was a a new mum or dad listening to this, feeling anxious and hearing scary things, and it's hard to listen to to scary stories sometimes. Yeah. You know, what is the positive? And that is it. It's that you survived, that you, and, and, and that it's made you stronger, more resilient. Like Mm -hmm. you say, you can advocate for your family. Yeah. you know yourself better yeah. um and that's it I think I do worry about being you know it's not a story that you can hear or talk about lightly because such a lot has happened but if anything the importance of telling it is that you know I always think how it how poorly I was before um having Henry and then if somebody was to tell me three years ago you are going to have another baby and this is what's going to happen to him I would have said no no I'm not doing that that's not I know obviously you would (laughs) if you had a choice to go through these situations you wouldn't but if somebody had said to me you're going to have this baby and he's going to have these problems and this is what's going to happen but you're going to be okay you're actually going to be the best you are you're the best you've ever been mentally I'd have been like no 
and doing this job training to be a gentle sleep coach because of not wanting to put my poorly child I was thinking there's got to be another way of helping him sleep I can't leave him to cry look at what he's been through like why would I do that to him why would I, why did I want to do that anyway and and no I knew a lot more then um I'd done other courses in becoming sleep consultants and they weren't for me they didn't feel right and I didn't um want to start a business off the back of those and then finding that and realizing there was other ways to help him sleep that that saved me because I've been able to help other people and focus my attention on helping other people rather than being consumed by what we were going through yeah I was going to ask you actually how hearing other people's challenges makes you feel because it's um it's sometimes it's a lot to yeah to carry isn't it you get I get really emotionally invested in pretty much all of my clients lives and I think about them a lot after we've stopped working together and Mm. um yeah I guess there's there's some healing parts of it and then there's some triggering parts as well definitely and I think it's it's amazing when somebody comes to me and says the reason I've chosen you is because I feel like you do or I feel like you did Mm. and actually it becomes more about helping them feel more ease about their parenting decisions and yeah like you said they stay with you those people you kind of want to stay in touch with them to make sure that they're doing okay and that you do build such an important rapport with clients when you're doing this job don't you and um Mm. it's 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 lovely it's wonderful and I think there are things like if I get a, a, a form through of somebody that says they've got a CMPA baby who's suffering from reflux and has had blue episodes and I think oh, I can't do this I can't mm. talk to this person and but then often it's a case of just listening to them and saying do you know what that's a very similar story to what happened to me and my son sleeps 12 hours a night and mm. he's happy and that can happen for you eventually yes and Um, you know as well how important sleep is you know so it's um it's not about just telling families going through crises just wait it out it'll be all right in the long run like there are things we can do to help and sometimes that is being heard and seen and supported through something and sometimes that is optimizing sleep and working on Mm -hmm. certain things um but Yes, and and sometimes your baby's sleeping brilliantly and you're not sleeping and your mental health is being impacted as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, we blame the babies a lot on, on, mm. on things, don't we? Um, yeah. It's it's really oh, so sad. Yeah, and it's just finding solutions to those, you know, I thought that the only way to do, to, to get him to sleep was to sleep train him and we probably lasted two nights and I thought, no, this isn't for me um but if I'd have known what I know now it would have just been a completely different story and and, and at that point I thought well I've got to do this because I need to sleep and if I sleep my mental health will improve and I'll feel better but actually putting myself through that made us both more upset and more distressed so there's got to be a balance there's got to be tools that you can give people to say look you are severely severely sleep deprived Um, and this is what I'd recommend you do tonight and just prioritize four hours of sleep and just ask if your partner or somebody or a trusted friend or family member can just look after your baby for four hours and just and being held accountable for that for for some you're paying for a service so they're 
pay you or I or somebody else to help them. And, and just, just from us saying, this is what I think you should do, they do it because they wouldn't have you know a friend could say it and they wouldn't do it they wouldn't put themselves first but you 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 do feel like you're held accountable by when you when you pay for a service and you pay for that support you feel like no you know what I have I am going to prioritize myself and I am going to try and get those that chunk of sleep um so yeah it's just it's just giving them different options as well and it's yeah yeah not all about strategies and methods and things and I know that you know I think that most like that I think all sleep trainers genuinely believe they are I think they're doing the job to help families and often they've Mm. had a a difficult start themselves and then they found controlled crying or whatever methods um to to help them and therefore they just want to share it with others right so Mm. I I I don't think there's like malice or um you know I don't think these are like evil people conspiring against babies trying to ruin families (laughs) Uh, and I know sometimes when we as gentle folk talk about the 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 darker side of sleep training that it can sound like we don't acknowledge like you know sometimes I'm aware I don't always acknowledge the intent Mm. behind sleep training which is to ultimately help a family and get everyone more rest yeah it's just that I think what you said is really important to remember is that it 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 can really impact a family and not every family has had the same experience so for some people sleep training might be right for them and that is their choice to make but for Mm -hmm. other people who for whatever reason it feels wrong we just can't be saying to them well you either do this or you're just going to struggle like there has to be alternatives and you are a li- you are living proof of that that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that you can get through th- that yeah you know you can get through it and you, you can definitely there are alternatives and, and I and I started this job a year ago offering those methods offer you know I'd give them a, a variety of things mm. before I knew what I know now because I've learned so much in the last 12 months and and I would say, you know, how severe is this situation? And think, you know, not, and when I say control crying, it probably really wasn't control crying, but it was definitely not as responsive as what I um, advocate for now. But that's, I think my focus initially was on too much on the parents and how they needed to feel a certain way and 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 I was putting too much of myself on that I was thinking well this is how I felt so they must feel like this and actually just having that experience and talking to more people and gaining more knowledge which you will always do like what we know now Mm. you know we're gonna expand keep on expanding on that every day and that's what's important when you're doing this job is you have to keep learning about it you have to keep taking other people's considerations into um consideration because I think we can get too bogged down you know we can we personally might get a little bit um frustrated in hearing that's you know that parents are saying that the sleep training is is the only way and people being given wrong information but but like you said it's not a malicious thing it's just that the 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 knowledge isn't there and if we all had that um, and parents were given more of it, then they could make more informed decisions. Um, That's it. It's all yeah. about informed decisions. That's yeah. it. When it comes to feeding, sleeping, weaning, yeah. whatever, just give parents good information so they can make an inform- informed decision. That's 
all I care about as a mum myself and as someone that works with families, just in, informed decisions and less lies. And I wanted to ask as well, what what would your advice be to someone who was in a mental health crisis right now? You know, uh, maybe mm. you've, you're a, a, a new mum or maybe you've been a mum for 10 years and you're still yeah. struggling for whatever situation they're in and you're feeling out of control and that thing it doesn't feel right in yourself what would you where would you start I I think the best uh, I think you you need to have somebody that you can confide in and tell them your absolute deepest darkest worrying thoughts because once you start to verbalize them and even if that is about harming yourself or or having kind of idealistic thoughts about not being here mm. um you need to find the strength to verbalize them because as soon as you do and as soon as you talk through the thoughts that you're having they become lighter and you find that other people are experiencing similar or have maybe experienced similar things and whether that is going to be if you don't want to discuss that with your kind of immediate friends or your partner or your parents or whoever it is then then trust that a GP can can have those share those thoughts with you and, and get you the help that you need because you wouldn't you're not alone with it and it's very it's very hard to say find out what is triggering those those mm. feelings and sometimes depression is situational and obviously if you've got clinical depression that's slightly different but if this is a very sudden change what is it that's 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 triggered it and is that feeling out of control is that that your baby's not sleeping is it purely situational depression because you're sleep deprived if that's the case then then research and reach out to people and get that help find out if what's happening to your your family and what's what's what what's going um what's happening with your child's sleep whether that is normal for their developmental stage and if it is okay well let's work on on prioritizing you and getting you some more sleep um but the only you're not going to get anywhere and you're not going to feel lighter unless you talk about it and people hide it very very well um, and that's that's worrying because I think, especially if you are very close to somebody, you might not spot that they are hiding something. They might be a little bit off. You might think that they may be annoyed with you. Um, and I think if anybody is listening to this who has just become a parent and is struggling with these thoughts, or you may be just feeling really shit and really down and really sad and regretful, that's okay it's okay to regret this because it's not going to be forever your life has been turned upside down and but it's not it's not going to be forever you will certainly 100% not feel like this forever and the best thing to do is to just find somebody that you can talk to even if it's dming a stranger if it's dming me if it's dming you and just saying i need some help i need to just chat like that's that's what needs to happen. We just need to have that one person. And I appreciate that not everybody's going to have that or feel mm. comfortable enough to do that. But I can't stress how important it is to just talk honestly about how you're feeling. And if you're worried about doing that, maybe just sit and write everything down that's in your head and try and kind of 
organize that in some way to then present to somebody else whether that's writing a letter or an email and just saying look I don't want you to do anything with this information I just want you to read it and I want you to understand how I feel because that that's kind of the starting point of things getting better I think yeah and I'll link as well there are some great um, helplines available as well that if you don't have anyone you know in person to talk to or you don't feel comfortable then calling a stranger on those helplines or like you say dming someone on instagram or something could Mm. could really help um definitely yeah i think that and 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 always just remembering that those people are trained to listen to people that are struggling and there's going to be no judgment i think that's the worst thing and i i always thought well if i tell this person how i feel then my children might get taken off me Mm -hmm. nobody wants that nobody's going to do that it's just a fear that we have that if we talk then something bad's going to happen you know we might get told we're more poorly than we are or Mm. it's just it's it's not the reality in my experience you know there are wonderful people out there that will help and try and make things better yeah definitely I think um so my mum is a social worker who works with families oh and so I can testify it's quite it's not that easy just to take kids off people and people don't (laughs) people don't just go around doing it like for fun either so um you know I think social workers are there to help and support as well they're not you know it's it and that should be the last thing mm-hmm. you know and, it, and it's easy to go there because you feel unwell and so yeah. you do you can't rationalize your thoughts so um yeah it's not a nice a nice place to be and I wish I had an answer like a, a a thing that that helped me but ultimately what helped me is understanding my mental health and what triggers it and what makes me feel rubbish and also how I can make myself feel better and also being confident enough eventually to talk about it openly they're the things that have made me better oh Emily I thank you your story is really inspiring and you're very generous um to share it with people and I'm I'm really grateful thank you so much you know I thank you it's it's been hard to listen to at times because it's just a lot and um yeah but you've come through it with such like grace and and it's probably not always been graceful but you know yeah. like <laughs> but, a lot of snot and tears <laughs> but um you know like you're you know I think that I think that parents that go through what you've been through I think like NICU parents are just mm. warriors um mm. mm-hmm. and uh, go to to de- like places in themselves that the rest of us don't understand um and I don't think you can understand it unless you've been through it um yeah and I think the more and more I learn about mental health, the more I keep coming back to the idea that just community is everything. It so really is. no matter what you have experienced or been through, finding your tribe, finding your village, being mm-hmm. seen, being heard, being supported by other people is just, it's the only way through this. And mm-hmm parenthood can be a really lonely experience sometimes and we are more isolated than ever before right now so um thank you for sharing your story because I think it just helps people feel less alone and less shit yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. 
I I really um I'm really glad you asked me and I'm very glad that I did it and I know that it was going to be I I was thinking the whole time to cry to cry to cry <laughs> um but actually I think the more we talk about these things and even if just one person listens to this like you said you know when we were having a chat before about if one person listens to this pushing the baby around the park for the fifth time trying to get them to sleep and just thinks thank god there is light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not always going to feel like this. And other people have felt like this. Like, that's it, isn't it? That's yeah. the winning then. Yeah. And it feels like even if you're not going through mental health like struggles right now and you're just knackered because you've got a baby, it feels yeah. like it's never going to end. Like, it just yeah. does. Even if you're a rational, like, yeah. normal, like, yeah. you know, you're like, normally I've got my shit together and I don't think yeah. like this. But this mm. baby has made my brain go mental. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. that's not very good uh, PC to say. No. But, you know, like I've just been flipped upside down. And I don't, I think sometimes people can say like, oh, this isn't me. Like I don't have mm. intrusive thoughts. or this isn't, I'm normally, co- I can cope with stuff. And then mm. ah, I'm not. That's really, really scary. It is. Um, and it's, all, you know, you, that is when you feel like you feel completely out of control of your own thoughts yeah. and your own mind. And especially if you've got a, a a clingy velcro baby that is very high needs and is very upset and that maybe have reflux or some kind of allergy or mm-hmm. you know those babies are they would they would test the patients and the the patients of a saint and yeah. and and you are well within your rights to just have five minutes of screaming into a pillow and then getting <laughs> on with your day like sometimes that's just what you've got to do yeah. um and and there's there's if you are if you do have um a baby that's that's struggling with things like that then there are again a plethora of of help on instagram and things um that can help and i so so wish that i'd known what i know about reflux Mm. um too now um but yeah i think I think that's when and even if you don't have a baby that's you know you just are finding it really hard it's because it is really hard there's no easiness yeah Uh, you might have to eat you might have um everyone keeps telling you oh your baby is so easy and they're so contented and blah 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 blah, and you might like you can still find it hard like it it is hard regardless and it's it's not a competition is it for who's got it harder it's just your experience is valid no matter what your situation is I I think and then people say to me, like, oh, you know, I, I I went through something similar, but it was nowhere near as bad as you. And I'm like, well, no, we don't need to, we can't, we don't have to say that to each other. Yeah. What we go through is relative to us and, and trauma can be felt, you know, you could, my best friend had the most amazing home water birth and she suffered terribly with her mental health after yeah. that. And it's not it's not the obviously not the birth that that triggered it but we think that oh if we have a positive birth experience then we have a brilliant baby that breastfeeds brilliantly and mm. sleeps beautifully then you you've no right to feel sad or you've no right to feel down well that's not the case at all yeah you don't want to waste anyone's time or oh no. I know it and we do that all the time you know oh we well do. I know it's not so bad for me or I know I'm really lucky because xyz um mm. and but again this is why just community comes back to it doesn't it because actually yeah, just definitely. talking and voicing that it just lightens your load it's, it's a heavy load and you shouldn't ever have to carry it alone definitely mm-hmm.